our privilege as a reader, our privilege as, as a book lover is to make sure that we are actively um, pulling up a chair for everyone. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Kids and teens, kids and teens, kids and teens, welcome everyone to Keep It Fictional. Just had like a moment of crisis where I couldn't remember the name of this episode or the theme. So welcome to a very composed and ready um, episode of Keep It Fictional, uh, your friendly neighborhood book lover podcast slash vlogcast um, from the Port Moody Public Library. Don't give me that expression, Virginia. I'm improvising. I'm improvising. So we are here with another uh, episode to celebrate Asian Heritage Month, but today we are moving the spotlight in a slightly different direction than maybe we usually do. And we are choosing to focus on um, books written for children and teens by authors of Asian heritage. And to begin with, I just wanted to share a little bit about why it is important to, to talk about, to read, to celebrate these books and these authors. So Dr. Rudin Sims Bishop was the first person to write about children's book and children's literature as being an experience of a mirror. So that any child, regardless of their, their heritage, their experience, should be able to pick up a book and see themselves in it. That this is important for their development. It is important to see what is possible. It is important for someone, for them to be able to see someone who looks like themselves represented in a book whether that is just a day-to-day experience or being an astronaut or being a dragon slayer, that every child should be able to find themselves in a book. So Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop was the first person to really articulate that concept that picture books should be a mirror. And this has kind of also expanded that you should be able to see mirrors. They should also be windows to perhaps looking into other people's lives and gaining some experience. Or as Grace Lynn, the author, I believe was the first to term, a sliding door that welcomes us into someone else's experience and shares it with us. So we know that this is a really important part of child development. But unfortunately, the reality is, is that there are very few mirrors available. So I know that this is primarily an audio medium, but I would like to share um, some fantastic infographics and some stats about kind of the state of children's literature. So there's a very, very famous um, image or illustration that was done by illustrator David Hayek um, with input and help and data collection by Sarah Park Dalen, which took a look at um, children's books and exactly who was represented as the protagonist. So I believe they looked at 3,100 picture books, which that's a lot of picture books. That's a big slice of that publishing pie. And they looked through it and identified who were the protagonists in that. What kind of diverse backgrounds were they coming from? And what they found in 2018, and I'm choosing this year as kind of like a representative that has the best data on it, but quite honestly, the stats have not budged a little. Any gains are incremental, and they found that 50% of all protagonists in children's books are white. So it is very, very easy for a child to a white child to pick up a book and see themselves in it. In fact, it is almost seen as the default of a protagonist in a book. I think what is possibly the more heartbreaking statistic that was found is that it is easier to find an animal as a protagonist than it is a person of color. So on this statistic, it said that um, in these children books, 27% of the protagonist were animals or others. So you could think of that as robots or grapes or crayons. So that's 27%. And even if you add up all the rest, it's just barely edging out that statistic. So when we're kind of focusing in on um, Asian Pacific Islander or Asian Pacific American, only 7% 
of all picture books have a protagonist who is from that group. That's not enough. We know that that is not representative of the world that we live in. We know that that is not the representative of children. So just imagine that you are from one of those groups and trying to find that mirror of yourself, trying to see what is possible in literature, what what someone who looks like you can have adventures or be a rocket scientist or be anything, and, and you can't. So looking at this infographic again, 10% are um, African-American or, uh, Af uh, or African, 5% are Latinx, and 1% or honestly less than 1% is American Indian or First Nation. We Need Diverse Books, which is a fantastic organization that uh, promotes literature for children and for teens by people of color. Again, did 2019 by the numbers, and their statistics have shown that very, very little has changed. While sometimes it feels like there are gains, the gains there are incremental. They're very, very small. And part of what the bigger discussion about this in kind of the publishing world is that that pretty much represents who is in publishing, who are the voices at the table, who are the people choosing the books, who are the people editing the books, and that is overall and overwhelmingly white. A publishing survey done by Lee and Lowe Books found that 76% of all people working in the, in the publishing industry overall are white. They are overwhelmingly 74% a cis woman, they are 81% straight, and 89% non-disabled. So a lot of these stats just kind of go to show that the publishing reflects who is in publishing. Publishing is not letting people tell their own stories and is not choosing those stories because those people aren't invited to the table. So it's really important that when we get that chance, when we find these fantastic books and we do have to find them, you have to look for them because sometimes they are buried under the mass of other books that get more publicity, is to share them, celebrate them, read them, buy them, put them in the hands of kids as much as you can because every kid deserves to see themselves in a book. So today I am very lucky to be joined by my fellow librarians and we are going to highlight five, and again, tough choices, tough choices, but we're going to highlight five fantastic authors, five fantastic stories aimed at kids by writers of Asian heritage. And that is also important because um, sometimes people aren't able to even tell their own stories and the writers might not be from that group. So we have specifically chosen people that are are writing from their own base of experience. And I'm super excited to see what everyone is picking today. Well, I've, I, I guess I will start. Um, the book that I really wanted to talk about is, is near, it is dear to my heart because I love reading about and watching stories about figure skating. Have I ever put on figure skates? No. Do I understand figure skating? No. Would I ever want to figure skate myself? No, I'm terrified of breaking my legs. So no. However, I love a figure skating story. I love the artistry, the drama, the like beauty gliding on ice, the sound of those crisp skates on the ice as they glide along. Um, so some of my favorite films are uh, Ice Princess, the classic Disney film, Ice Princess, uh, loved I, Tonya, loved The Cutting Edge, and I have seen all of Yuri on Ice twice. So when I saw that there was a middle grade debut focusing on figure skating, oh, I was there. I was all there. Um, so the book that I wanted to talk about, a debut by author E.L. Shen, is called The Comeback. Classic sports title. It's just... Oh, it's all there. It's all ready. I was hooked from the very first page. And it's got a great cover. It just kind of like evokes like the beauty and power of the figure skater. Mm, so good. So this is the story of 12-year-old uh, Maxine. Um, she wants to be a professional Olympic grade skater. And she has devoted her entire 
life to this training regime. She gets up at like five o'clock in the morning. Her parents drive her to the rink. She has a private coach. She has a private choreographer and she is on her way to divisionals to be able to qualify for the Olympic team in her future. Maxine wants everything to be perfect. She wants to hit those landings. She wants to be perfect in her life. She wants to make sure that she has good grades. She wants her parents to be proud of her, but also not worried about her. And she wants to just be the best. She's got that drive. And then things start falling apart for her a little bit. There is a new skater who moves to their home of Lake Placid, home to all the famous figure skaters named Holly. And Holly is, Holly's good. Holly is maybe even a little bit better than Maxine. Holly lands harder jumps. Holly is better at the artistry. And so Maxine starts to doubt herself a little while, a little bit. And then at home, Maxine's parents start to get really worried that she is devoting too much of her time to figure skating, that she's putting too much pressure on herself. And so they start questioning whether Maxine can really be a kid and be a professional skater at the same time. And then at school, Maxine starts to be the target of a bully who makes fun of her for her Chinese heritage. And then all of a sudden, all of these things come to an edge and Maxine just freezes. This is not only an amazing sport story, but it is also a wonderful story that shows the effects of racism on a kid. It shows how it, it's not just the event that it happens, it's that it follows her throughout her day. It follows her through school. It follows her onto the ice. It follows her into her home. And so I think not only is this such a wonderful slice of life story, it's a really true story about the, the impact that racism either overt or something like a microaggression can have on a kid. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful debut. I love Maxine's parents. I love that they're not the stereotypical figure skating parent. They're not the ones pushing her. Maxine is the person pushing herself. I love that Maxine is so ambitious. She's got a goal and she's just working for it. And I love that her parents are there to kind of like support her and make sure that she is having the sort of childhood that they want her to have. It is a great story. As an adult, I enjoyed it. As a figure skating enthusiast, I thought it was wonderful with all like the little slice of life details about the sport. And I absolutely recommend everyone of any age pick up The Comeback by E.L. Shin. All right, next up, why don't we switch over to Virginia? Virginia, figure skating fan? I think I, I feel like I know the answer to this. Yeah, I'm just like our Venn diagram has just moved all the way over there to there. So <laughs> it's so pretty. It's not even bending no more. They, they skate and they dance and they do flips. What more do you want? It was a Christmas tree in my skating pageant when I was Aww. younger. There were many Christmas trees. It wasn't like I was the Christmas tree. We were all Christmas trees. But... <laughs> It was the kind of thing where the parents had to make the costumes, so none of them looked the same. I love it. I love it. It's beautiful. <laughs> All right. Virginia, I'm guessing your book has nothing to do with figure skating. No, no never. <laughs> um, yeah, so I have um, today a book from an uh, East Indian, Italian, American writer. And it is called Midsummer Mayhem, and it is by Rajini LaRocca. And so you can maybe guess from the title, it is inspired by the Shakespeare's play Midsummer's Night Dream. This book stars Mimi. Like her parents sometimes call her Mimi Mouse because she's kind of timid and they think that she doesn't speak up. But Mimi will tell you that it's really hard when you're in a big family and, you know, everybody's older than you and they're also good at 
what they're doing, and you, 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 it's hard to find the space to speak up. And not only that, their sisters and their brother love playing music together, and they're always in harmony. They're always in sync. And and whenever Mimi try to join them, just it just doesn't quite quite work. And so she's sort of given up doing that. And she always feel like you know she's doesn't quite fit. But there's one thing that her family really appreciate about her, and and it's great because it's one of the love of her life. She loves baking. She loves using spices. She loves using herbs in it. She loves trying to come up with unusual flavor combinations, and she has memorized every single recipe from her favorite pastry chef, Puffy Pay. And Puffy Pay is also from her tongue, and. He is also a TV star, so she watches all the show, and this is like her idol. And one day she would love to be on a show with Puffy Faye, and she feels that if you know, if I can get good at baking, maybe one day I will have a chance. And that's why she's so excited when there's a new bakery and cafe open up in her town, and they are hosting a baking contest. And the prize for that baking contest is to go spend some time with her idol Puffy Faye. So she was like, "I got to enter this, and oh, this is perfect timing too because my dad is coming home. Her dad is a food critic, so he travels around, you know, tasting different food, going to restaurants, and then writing reviews about them. And her dad is coming back from one of those trips, and so he would be perfect because he has this." Impeccable palate, like he can tell you. If you give him something to eat, he can tell you exactly what's in it. He can tell you list out all the ingredients, and whenever Mimi tries to get him to taste her food, you know he's always able to tell her like, well, how she can make maybe like make make a better balance of her food, or maybe like make some of the flavor pop, you know, like. And she always has really good suggestions, so she's looking forward to spending some time with her dad and. Checking out like recipes and and testing out like you know some new baking creations, but when her dad came home, her dad acted a little weird. She noticed that the first day when he came back, he devoured like six, seven slices of pizza, and yeah, pizza was okay. But he acted like he didn't eat like all his trip, and he acted like this is like the best thing he has ever eaten in his life. And you know, Mimi is sure that that's not the case. But not only that, the next day when she was like, "Oh, you know, can you try my like vanilla cookies? I this is a new recipe that I'm testing out." He took one, he ate it, and he's like, "Oh, scrumptious! So good, Mimi. This is great." And he proceeded to eat like another forty of them. And Mimi tried to get him to tell her like, "Well, what is good about it? You know, what what can I do better? Like, you know, is there any flavor that's missing? Like, what what what, what should I do?" And he's like, "Oh no, no, it's scrumptious! It's scrumptious! It's so good!" And He's like no help at all, and so Mimi is starting to worry. Like you know, like there's something weird going on with her dad, and then she's also worried about the baking contest is coming up. Like I need to come up with something great to go into the contest. So, and clearly her dad is not going to be able to help her. So what should she do? And normally, when she needs some sort of inspiration, she go to the woods near her house. That's the place that she and her best friend Emma always go visit. They play there. They talk. They chatted. They have all sorts of adventures there. That is her favorite place. But her best friend Emma has moved away a few weeks ago, so the woods are just not quite the same anymore. But maybe there's something else waiting for Mimi, and maybe that something else is going to give her just that edge she needs for her baking contest. So as you can see, this is a story. That is for anyone who loves a sort of real life, realistic story, but with a sprinkle of magic and a bit of mystery in it. And it is, of course, for anyone who loves food, whether it's baking or any kind of food. You know, this is a great for that. And I think I want to echo what Kareem was just saying earlier、um, in the introduction because last week when we did. Many of our stories, many of them talks about sort of that unique experience and challenges that people of color or like you know somebody of Asian descent might come across because they are different because other people have different expectations of them, different cultural expectations, and it's it's really important to have those stories that reflect those experiences. And at the same time, it is also 
so, so important to have stories like this that show you that that experience, that sort of that challenge, the difficulty that they have as a person of color is not the only story. We too, as somebody who is not white, can also have an adventure. We can also be a star. We can also enter a baking competition. And we don't always have to be the psychic, the comic relief, the person that tag along on someone else's adventure, you know, and end up like getting snatched by a monster and waiting for rescue. You know, we don't have to be like that person that moved away so that it became a catalyst for some like, you know, profound character development for someone else. We can be that person, you know, and, and these stories are so important that adventure can also find you and that in your backyard, you have just as much chance of finding magic as anyone else. And it's only because these stories exist that show us that, yeah, that could be me because I can see myself in this story. And to show that, yeah, just because I'm a person of color, I still get sad when my best friend move away. I still have annoying siblings that I have to deal with. You know, like all of those things are experiences that I can also have. And it's just important to have all kinds of stories that reflect, that show that anyone, anyone can have that, can be the star in a fantasy story, can be the star in a mystery. And so if you would like to have a little bit of magic in your life also, check out Midsummer's Mayhem, and it is by Rajini LaRocca. Marvelously put, Virginia. Marvelously put. Yeah. And I love a baking contest. I know. I can't. Like, I can't. Like, when I saw that there's a food competition, that's it. I have to read it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have to say, if you are, if you are a fan of... This is a very, this is a very specific Venn diagram of kids in baking contests. <laughs> There's also the great new uh, graphic novel, Measuring Up, which is also very, very excellent. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. All right. Fiona, does your title have a baking contest or figure skating? Those are your only two options now. It sure doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> She's so proud of it, too. Yeah. <laughs> So my title is actually a steampunk title. So um, it is a graphic novel action adventure called City of Secrets by Victoria Ying. So it takes place in a fantastical universe. I guess the fantasy is that it's steampunk, not that there's magic. Um, It's not our universe, basically, but it is really cool because it definitely, you know, has echoes of historical aspects of our world. So the majority of the action takes place in this switchboard building. Women primarily work at these switchboards, funneling the communication throughout the city. And quietly in the background of this beautiful historical building at the center of town, a young boy named Ever lives. Now, Ever lives all alone. Uh, He's shy and suspicious because his father was murdered. And his father left him with a set of keys and told him that he needed to stay there and watch over the switchboard building because it was very important. Ever doesn't know a whole lot other than that. He just knows that it's his job to guard the secrets there. Enter Hannah. Her dad actually owns the switchboard and she's there visiting. She sees Ever and in the background stealing bread or something, I think, and she just becomes fascinated. Who is this boy who lives secretly in this amazing building? You like press a button and the whole thing shifts and like moves different areas of the the building together. So it's this really cool complex building uh, and she's just fascinated by Ever who lives there. Hannah is highborn and rich, and she is kind of happy-go-lucky and super friendly, kind of the opposite of Ever, who is quite suspicious. And so through some hard work, she eventually gets Ever to talk to her, um, something that he doesn't do with anyone else. The book has political intrigue, adventure, mystery and amazingly beautiful art. Victoria Ying's 
strokes are, are very fluid. And because there's so much action and running and chase scenes in the books, uh, it just, it works so well uh, on top of that with the detail of this sort of amazing city as the backdrop. So I highly recommend it for anyone who likes a good action adventure, um, but it also has that a, a groundedness about the world and about like, and actually has good characters who get to explore, which, you know, sometimes gets left out when, uh, when there's just a little bit too much action. I really hope that more uh, teachers and librarians sort of like uh, champion this book because it has um, like, you know, the feel of something like Amulet, which is like really, really popular. Um, and a lot of the stuff out there that the, the series out there that kids are really getting into these um, adventure series. Uh, but I think this one is just like really special, has all the things you want into it, in it. And um, I think it's really, it needs, yeah, it needs that push. Victoria uh, Ying is a Taiwanese-American um, artist, and she wrote it and she illustrated it. It takes part in this um, fantasy world. And to come back to what Virginia and Kareen were both talking about, it's a lot of things we've seen before. It's an, it's an action and adventure book that doesn't have anything to do with race in particular but the protagonist is Asian and the author is Asian and the author is Taiwanese. Um, and I think to have that ability to just see this happy-go-lucky, really like plucky, awesome protagonist and that she happens to be, to have Asian features in this fantasy world um, is yeah, just is, is uh, filling something that we haven't always seen, even though we, have all of these great action adventure graphic novels, I don't think that Asian American children often get to see themselves reflected in that. The uh, creator also does some of her, does some sort of like diary comics. And I really enjoyed going on her uh, website and, and reading about, she reflects a little bit on her identity as a Taiwanese American and sort of like growing up not speaking the language and then you know, having complicated feelings about that. And I both appreciate that there wasn't a need to make that a part of this book, but that she is also willing to share that. And it, and it really helped me uh, appreciate who she was as an illustrator. Uh, so I'm really excited to follow her work. And this one is getting a sequel. I think it's either just came out or comes out next month. And then as far as I know, it's going to be uh, a series with a couple more books. So, so excited. Um, if you if you like graphic novels and you are someone who reads uh, ones directed at kids, pick it up. Like, I, I loved it and enjoyed it so much. If you're not, uh, you can still champion this. Give it to your kids. Give it to your nieces and nephews. Definitely share it around because it is great. I'm so glad that you chose that book. Um, Victoria Ying was uh, also an animator, so worked for Disney on movies like Tangled and Frozen and Moana. So the art is so good. So good. And I hadn't thought about that. Like her art has movement and like that probably has a lot to do with her being an animator. Like it's just so beautiful and fluid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And City of Illusion is coming out soon and or now. And you reminded me, Fiona, of, oh my goodness, I cannot remember who it is to attribute it to, but it's like when people say they're, they're tired of vampire stories or like a love triangle, well, no, not everyone has gotten the chance to say, to tell that story from their perspective. What we're tired of is that same story by a white writer, you know, doing out the same tropes as always. And um, when we see something that someone is taking and putting their own experience and their own spin into, we still need to champion those books. Even if we feel like we have read that before, we have not read that before. All right. Well, it comes time to our skill testing question of the episode. And this one is, thinking back to our childhoods, what character do you first remember and I realized when Fiona asked for a clarifying question, I said, do you remember loving as a kid? And then Fiona was like, romantic love? 
Um, and I'm going to say no, because I feel like that's a bit more revealing that we want to do on a public podcast, perhaps. Um, but do you remember just like really like connecting to or wanting to be or just like loving this character so, so much as a kid? Who is like that, that first like shining hero for you in your books? Um, any, any takers who feels like, feels like they know themselves and their child self? I'll go. Um, so I... I think I've revealed this before. I didn't read a lot as a kid, um, but my mom read the Narnia series to us. And I, and we also watched those really old ones. So I had uh, I, the visuals for that still stick in my head. Um, and I loved Ruby the Sheep. Um, like uh, the mouse, the mouse with the sword. Like he was like, I feel like that's pretty much all you can say about Rima Chief. He was a mouse with a sword. Um, he was awesome and brave. Um, and I really connected to him. I wanted to be like Rima Chief, which is strange because developmentally, like kids connect better with human characters. And I think that's something that's really important when we're looking at these statistics about race in ch with children's characters, because most kids won't make the connection with animal characters. And it's really important to have real kids shown in picture books. Um, but for some reason, for me, it was, it was the mouse with the sword. Uh, that's who I looked up to. To be fair, it was a cool sword. Like stabbing people in the toes. Yeah, and he had like one of those hats with a little feather on it. The feather is key. The feather is key. <laughs> All right, Liz, what about you? Um, nothing really jumped out at first. And I feel like a lot of my childhood character memories are based in like TV and movies. But if I had to say one character that's like a crossover, I'd say probably Winnie the Pooh. He's just, you know, he has good intentions and he kind of bumbles along and he has this close group of friends and they all try and do the right thing. And, um, you know, he gets stuck in the in the hole to his cave and it's okay they still support him and yeah it's just you know one of those feel good feel good things where um you can learn a lot <laughs> just from a simple story so uh yeah that probably sticks out for me Aww. all right Sadie what about you Similar to Fiona, I, I did not read when I was a child. Um, not really that much. Uh, my sister was the reader. I was not. So looking like way, way back, the first book I remember connecting with, and it was a very simple connection, was because the character's name was Sadie. And it was as simple as that. Sadie and the snowman. She had a snowman. She built it in the winter. She kept it in the over the summer in the freezer, and then she rebuilt it in the next winter. Um, and that was uh, very, yeah, just a big purely based on the fact that she had the same name as me. Um, but I think looking a little bit older, um, Ella from Ella Enchanted was sort of the first book where I think that was the first time that I actually read something that I started to figure out what my tastes were as a reader, not just what, uh, what my parents would read me or what my sister would be reading. I often did not connect with, uh, with the same things that my sister was reading. And because she was the more voracious reader when my parents would read us things that would usually just because I didn't have an opinion on it she would suggest books um, and it didn't usually fall into my necessarily into my tastes um, so I think that Ellen Chanter was kind of the first time that I I found something and a character that I that I really enjoyed and that I I actually realized oh there is this is something I like this is something that I could I could start to read on my own. And it's very you. There's like romance and magic. Mm -hmm. Strong female protagonist. <laughs> just want to ask, Ellen Chan is the one that she cannot say no to. Yeah, she's she's cursed to, to be obedient. Okay, yeah. Because one time, so one time at the library, when somebody was, when was describing this book to this patron and the, like the little patron asked, she can't say no to smoking? Because <laughs> when we were like this, but she can't say no to anything. And that's what she wanted to know, is that she can say no to smoking. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, same thing, like I, I didn't grow up here. So I don't, there's not really a lot of children's books in Chinese for anyone, basically. It's all like translations of fairy tales. That's kind of all I read when I was a kid. Um, so I'm going to go with like the one that makes me love, like I think sports manga, 
because um, that's one thing that it is available to us. Um, and it is not one translated yet into English, but it's called Captain Subasa. It's the best. And I'm going to say football because that's what we call them. Football, which is soccer here, football manga ever. Um, and I remember just like religious watching the show, reading those manga. And it's just sports. There's something amazing about sports manga. And I would probably venture to guess that if I go and read Yuri on Ice, I will probably still like it because there's something about ma like manga artists. They just makes you care about whatever sports it is that they're talking about, even if it is something that you have absolutely no interest in. They just... Yeah, anyway, they have all been so good. Um, but this one is more football. And, and it's not the main character that I care the most about. It's the friend. I think his name is Taro. I have to look it up. It's Taro. And Taro is actually like he's traveling around because his dad works in different places. So he just happens to be there and join the school for a little while and join the sports team. And he was such a loyal friend. And together they like, you know, play through all the matches to get their school into like the champions and all that. It was just, yeah, it was what started my sports manga obsession. So Captain Tsubasa. That's awesome. That really nails it. Cause yeah. Um, I cared about like high jump because of Hannah Kimi. And I don't think I would ever have any opinion on high jump ever <laughs> yeah i read the whole high issue even give it as about american football i'm like doesn't matter it's so fascinating i need to watch this now yeah so awesome awesome um for myself it was matilda because she read a lot of books and i read a lot of books and she spent a lot of time at the library and i spent a lot of time at the library and she had an elaborate revenge fantasy and i also had elaborate revenge fantasies i do remember i put a chocolate chip on a piece of paper and then drew a circle around it and tried to like develop my telekinetic powers to move it to no avail <laughs> maybe one day <clears throat> maybe one day all right. Well, thank you for, for sharing your childhood memories. Um, some of them, you know, beautifully, beautifully of a time. Some of them classic, some of them timeless. Um, speaking of the new classics of tomorrow, Liz, what is your book recommendation? This has got to be one of my favorite recently published uh, picture books. Um, I think just last month, actually, this one just came out. And, and it's by an author named Tao Lam and uh, she works with Owl Kids Books, and she is Vietnamese-Canadian. Now, she arrived in Canada as a refugee at the age of three, and that personal experience has been informing some of her works as of late. She's known for her collage-style artwork, um, which is really intricate and really beautiful, and it's just so lovely to see that handicraft uh, go into picture book art once again. So today the book that I wanted to share with everybody is called Tao, Tao by Tao Lam. Um, she's also known for, I just wanna give a shout out to a couple of her other recent works, The Paper Boat, A Refugee Story, drawing from her own refugee experience and just such a beautiful work um, that involves some ants that stow away on the boat the refugee boat. And also another favorite, my cat looks like my dad. So anyways, back to Tao by Tao Lam. So she decided to create a story around her name, Tao, um, after reading an NPR article. And in this article, they discussed what these psychological effects are on students who have their name repeatedly mispronounced. So basically kind of minimizing their identity, their name, uh, what it truly is. So obviously to most of us, the name Tao is unfamiliar. It's spelled T-H-A-O, uh, but it is properly pronounced with a silent H. So while she was growing up in Canada, the kids at school, even the teachers, they didn't know what to make of this. She um, dreaded that first class of every school year with a new teacher, because inevitably when they were doing roll call, they would get to her name and there would be a pause. And right away, she knew that they would come up with something, uh, some approximation of her name, sometimes correct, sometimes not. So she would just shoot her hand right up and say, it's me, it's Tao. And you know, 
you'd think that would be that. But if the teacher happened to mispronounce her name, then the rest of the kids would think, oh, that's okay. We can do that too. So she's been called many different things besides Tao. She's been called Theo, Tail, like T-A-I-L, even Towel. Now those are just the mispronunciations. She's also been called mean things. Things like tofu or tiny or China girl. So I, I feel you, Tao, as somebody who's being called that too, I feel ya. So she thinks to herself, you know, what's something that I can do to avoid being called these names, either these mispronunciations or these mean names. And she decides, well, maybe I should take an English name. Maybe I should take a name that's similar to one of my classmates who was born here, whose parents want to give their child a traditionally English name. So she decides to try that on for a while. And it seems to, it seems to be working out, but it's not really her. And one day at the lunch table, she, she is reminded of her Vietnamese heritage. She is thinking, wow, this is such a great thing that comes from my culture that, um, you know, the Vietnamese people have that other cultures don't have. And I'm really proud of it. And maybe I should be proud of my name too. So it's a simple story, um, but it's, it's really effective. And I feel like it's great to have that direct example of how, yeah, it may seem to kids that it's kind of ridiculous that you're called different things, but that it's actually really hurtful. And we should be more mindful about the books that we choose. We can speak as consumers or as readers by making those choices by choosing to purchase or to borrow those diverse books. And in that way, it helps to inform publishers that, you know what, people will buy those books. People will read those books. People will love those books. If we're gonna talk about dollars and cents, there is that market for that, for diverse, inclusive books um, that speak to cultural pride. Like it's okay to be proud of who you are and your traditions and your culture, even while you're living in maybe a country where your ancestors didn't grow up. So absolutely love this book, super charming. Again, it has her signature collage style art. And because this is a biographical story, she has also not only done her paper piecings of the other children, but she also has old pictures of herself as a kid that she has cut around like she's scrapbooking and she has pasted them in with all of those paper piecing children, which is just absolutely adorable. So again, that's Tao, a picture book by Tao Lam. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Liz. And thank you for choosing a picture book and kind of highlighting that part of a child's education or the, the responsibility as a teacher or an adult in a child's life is to teach that empathy to teach that that understanding um, and that's that's a, a great a great point and again to to emphasize that 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 money talks in this particular industry and, and we know that the industry is predominantly white and so we do need to make sure that we are we're talking with our dollars and being loud and clear that everyone wants diverse books so thanks Liz all right last but not least we've got Sadie Sadie what fantastic book do you have for us today Yes, yeah, so I have gone on the older end of our uh, reader spectrum for today, which is probably no surprise um, for to anyone, as I am a big YA uh, reader. And um, I think what fantastic book, Corrine, was well phrased, as I'm, you may have done that on purpose, I am talking about a fantasy book today. Um, I'm talking about The Bone Witch by Rin Chupeko. And uh, Rin is a Chinese Filipino author. Um, they live in the Philippines, were born in the Philippines, but have Chinese, uh, Malay, Thai, and Filipino um, heritage um, in their family. So they bring 
all of this history and ancestry to their writing, um, which I really, really enjoy. Um, they use a lot of Middle Eastern um, mythologies and Middle Eastern stories as well to inform uh, the stories that they tell. So I find I've read um, a couple of their books and they're always just these really kind of full, rich, um, magical systems and histories and worlds that they um, that they have created for their fantasy uh, novels that are kind of based on these these real world uh, histories, which is so wonderful. We start our story of the Bone Witch on a deserted, barren island. And it starts with a young woman um, named T. And in this moment that we first meet T, she is killing this vicious creature called a deva. And not very many people have the ability to do this, um, but she is one of the people that has the ability not just to kill this creature, but also to resurrect this creature. Now, there's one other person present when we first uh, meet our protagonist, and that is a bard. And the bard has come in search of T to, to tell her story. Um, all that we know is that T has been exiled to this island she is able to kill and raise these deva creatures and the heart stone that she wears around her neck is pure black. Now in this world, every single person, when they turn 13, they get their very own heart stone. And uh, with the uh, power of runes and with the power of um, magic, witches are able to allow the heart stone to kind of show what this person's life has in store. So a different color, when the heartstone turns a different color, that represents something different for this person. Uh, so such as T's older sisters, they are both witches. So their heartstones are purple. Her mother's works by the hearth. And so her heartstone is sort of a fiery hearth color. Same with her father's, he works at the forge. So his heartstone is red like the fire of the forge. Now, when T first gets her heart stone, it turns the color silver. Now the color silver, similar to that of the witch, means that T has magic, but it is a kind of magic that other witches do not have. It is the magic of the Asha. And the Asha are a group of female uh, magicians and sorceresses who have the ability to wield the elements. They have elemental magic. And so when T's uh, heartstone turns silver, they realize that she has more power than they ever believed. Now, when we first meet T in this barren landscape, she reluctantly agrees to tell her story to this bard. She tells him that she is leaving in seven days. And if he would like to listen to her for seven days, she will tell him her story. So she begins the story and it starts kind of with an accident. And the accident is when T's brother Fox dies, T accidentally brings him back to life. She doesn't mean to, she did not do this intentionally. She did not know that she had the ability to do this, but she is distraught. He was her favorite person in the whole world. He raised her, he took care of her, he loved her. And she just can't imagine him buried under the earth when he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to be dead. He wants to be alive. And so in a moment of this kind of this distraught, upset girl, she throws herself on his grave and she sees a rune in the air. And so she traces the rune over and over and over again. And then her brother digs himself out of the ground and comes back to life. And not only that, he comes back to life as T's familiar. So he will now do whatever it takes to care for and protect T. That being said, most people do not view this as a good thing, similar to what Kareem's face is currently um, demonstrating. <laughs> It is not seen as the positive thing. The ability to raise the dead, the ability to work with the dead and to work with the magic of necromancy is not a good thing. 
And so T is immediately feared. She is immediately ostracized from her community, from her family, and she is immediately turned out. Now, luckily for T, there is an old woman who travels around and she also has the ability to work with the magic of necromancy. And so she takes T under her wing and takes her to the city to teach T how to be an Asha and more so how to be a bone witch, which is what T actually is. So the story continues um, explaining, kind of showing T's life in the city, showing her training, how she learns to become an Asha, the people that she meets. And eventually you get to understand exactly how she ends up in exile, what events happen that lead her to that island and that lead her heart stone to turn from silver to black. So that is The Bone Witch by Rin Chupeko. It is a, I believe a trilogy. So this is the first book of the trilogy. I actually haven't read the other ones, um, but uh, I feel like it was something that I read a while ago and then meant to read the other ones and then had way too many other books that just kind of came up. So never got to it, <laughs> but revisiting it now um, has made me really want to read, read the other two. All right. Well, not exactly my type, I feel like that's a Virginia title, like 100% a Virginia title. Well, I was, I was going to say, I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw Virginia's face kind of like light up as I was <laughs> kind of reminding me, was it Andrea Stewart, the bone, bone shard? Bone shard daughter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we also now know what to buy Sadie, book two of that book. There we go. <laughs> to continue my tradition of only owning second yeah. and third books of series. Oh, and to drive that stake just a bit further. <laughs> <start>. <laughs> <laughs> so well, and, and thank you for picking a YA book, Sadie. I'm glad that you that you chose. There's so much interesting, cool things happening in the YA genre right now. So many, so many voices being shared that I'm really glad that you that you brought that to to the table. Um, so, yeah. So thank you to uh, all of our our, our people for picking five fantastic books. Five is not enough. There's so much out there. And if you are interested in looking at some book lists for kids, uh, for chapter books, for teens, for adults, both fiction and nonfiction, you can go to our website and there is a blog post called Standing in Solidarity with All Asian Communities, where there is a list, uh, a book list um, specifically targeting at um, stopping um, anti-Asian hate, but they are fantastic recommended books by, by people from the community that you should definitely check out. And other resources as well have been gathered to kind of make sure that you are, are being an active ally in this, um, in this fight against, against hate right now. Um, so again, these are only five books and there are so much more. And what I would really encourage all of you to do is to pick up a book by a writer of Asian heritage, but don't just pick it up. Read it, share it, celebrate it, recommend it, promote it, gift it, post about it. We all need to support these stories. There is so much room at the table. There is so much room at the table and our, our privilege as a reader, our privilege as, as a book lover is to make sure that we are actively um, pulling up a chair for everyone. So um, thank you so much for listening and we hope that you will join us again next week where we are going to promote even more books by authors of Asian heritage. Um, again, back to adults, back to adults. Um, but we hope that you enjoyed this foray into the kids and YA world and we'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional.